Sister Michelle. Good morning, every. Well, is it still morning? Let's see. Almost, almost noon. Good morning, everyone, and happy Sabbath. Um, it's good to see you all. I know you can't reply to me, so <laughs> I take it in faith that you all said happy Sabbath back. Um, thank you for that special music. That was beautiful. Thank you for the introduction, Brother Churchill, and the free advertisement. That was uh, kind. <laughs> um, and um, I, uh, I'm honored to, to be your speaker. I, I feel like I know a lot of these faces. I went through scrolling to see all who was on. So good seeing some of you again. And um, I think this is a great uh, morning because I get to see a bunch of young people on the screen uh, in their Pathfinder uniform. So <clears throat> again, thank you for asking me to share and uh, I look forward to, to diving in with you this morning. Um, let's start with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are privileged to be a part of the beloved, to be a part of the family of God. And we're also privileged to be a part of the Sabbath day, which you set aside as a memorial for your children and your people to embrace one another, to fellowship with one another and to fellowship with you. And even though we're at a distance, we know that where the spirit of God is, there is unity. And so we ask for your spirit now. Father, I pray that this message uh, would be uh, the balm in Gilead, would be a message for our souls uh, but not only a message, but a mission uh, to us, to your people, to Pathfinders, to young and to old, uh, that we would be inspired to take up your cross and move forward and conquer the world for your glory. And so, Lord, we ask for your blessing now. I ask for your blessing now as we um, dive in. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, when I was a young girl and when I was in Pathfinders, um, <clears throat> uh, the uniform was actually uh, olive green. It was a deep forest green and khaki, but um, uh, it still looks good. I think black is, is easier to manage. Um, but when I was in Pathfinders, my brothers and I have three older siblings. My brothers, I have two older brothers and an older sister. And um, we used to talk about the name Pathfinders. We we're like, why do they call it Pathfinders? And we realized that in Pathfinders, we were, always, we were always camping, learning honors, we were tying knots, doing all of these things. And then one day it hit us. We were like, you know what? Pathfinders, they're preparing us for the last days, guys. Come on. They're preparing us for, for the time of tribulation when we'll be in the wilderness and we, we need to know how to do certain things. And that was always the answer that I uh, uh, remembered that we had crafted ourselves, which I think, you know, in part is very true. But there is another reason why you are part of uh, the Pathfinder Club. And it's in your theme song. Okay, I'm going to sing the theme song. It says, Oh, we are the Pathfinder Strong. The servants of God are we, faithful as we march along in kindness, truth, and purity. 
authority, a message to tell to the world, a truth that will set us free. King Jesus, the Savior, is coming back for you and me. How many of you, you know that? You should. If you're a Pathfinder, I think you know the song, right? One of my favorite songs uh, during Pathfinders. But there are two lines in that song that tell us our focus for today and that go along with your theme of being reconciled. And those two lines are this, a message to tell to the world and a truth that will set us free. A message to tell to the world and a truth that will set us free. Now, what exactly is this message that Pathfinders have to tell to the world? Well, I'm sure you probably know, uh, most people would guess the three angels message of Revelation uh, chapter 14, right? But even more specifically, it's the message of reconciliation. But then there's the second line. What is, what is that truth that sets people free? Well, in John 14, 6, the Bible says that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then even in John chapter 8, verse 36, Jesus says, uh, if the Son has set you free, you will be free indeed, right? We've got a message to tell to the world, and we've got a truth that will set people free. And the Bible actually goes in and is very specific about exactly what that means. And so this message to tell to the world, this message of truth, can be described actually in one word. And that word is reconciled. Reconciled. I'm sure you all are familiar, or well, I shouldn't take it for granted that you are, but apartheid South Africa. It was a country, or it, yes, it was. It was a country whose structure was set up in favor of white dominance. It was a racist system in every respect. And pardon me for looking away, my notes are here on the side of the screen. Apartheid South Africa, their society, everything that makes up a society for them, it was built upon uh, white privilege. And white privilege was real in the housing market. White privilege was real in land distribution. White privilege was real in the legal system, in the health system, in the transportation system. Everything about South Africa was built at a disadvantage for Blacks. And even the church system was built in the same way. And so currently, South Africa is trying to repair itself from over 300 years of a white elitist system and society. And they started that process, but obviously they've got a long ways to go. But the good news is, is that in 1994, apartheid ended. I'm sure you all those of you who have been keeping up with, with news for, uh, for, for South Africa. In 1994, it ended and Nelson Mandela became the first black president of a now democratic South Africa, uh, the country. And in 1995, 
they coined the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, okay? They call it the TRC. I'm giving you some information before we go deeper. They call it the TRC, and this was basically a group of people who were charged uh, to find a solution to addressing all of the past, the horrid past, atrocious, ter terrible past, and finding a way to move forward with a solution. And so it was established to address all the human rights violations that took place over the course of, of, that, of the, what, 30 plus years since the 60s. And it's interesting that they call it the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, okay? And it's interesting because the principles that they use to address uh, this massive job of repair, they're actually found in the sacred writings of scripture. So the principles that they use to try and repair their country are actually biblical principles. And we're going to look at that today. I want you to take your Bibles, if you have your Bibles uh, in front of you, and go ahead and turn to um, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to turn in my Bible. Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to look at actually a couple of writings, uh, a couple of scriptures of Paul. Yes, the writings of Paul, but two specific scriptures and then a third one later. But each time Paul speaks about the concept of reconciliation, okay, and reconciliation basically means two parties who were estranged or who were separated because of a dispute or disagreement. Reconciliation means that them coming back together. There because there's a change in the relationship. The relationship was once one way, now it's a new way because of um, the coming back together. So basically, when Paul speaks about the concept of reconciliation, he repeats certain themes each time in, in, in the passage. And if you listen closely, it'll stick out. We're going to read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 16. 16 and 17, actually. And it picks up in the middle of a sentence, but Paul is speaking about the Jews and the Gentiles, Okay. It says, and might reconcile us both to God, speaking of Christ, in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So he's speaking about Christ who does the reconciling. Verse 17, and he came, Jesus, and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Okay. Reconcile. We see the word reconcile. And how did he do that? Verse 16 says, he reconciled us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility, okay? I want you to hold that on a shelf, hold that in your brain on one side, and then flip to Colossians. Flip, flip to Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Flip to, Coloss flip to Colossians chapter 1. And look at verse 19 and 20. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. It says this. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. This is speaking of Jesus. Whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And I said, Paul repeats certain themes in those two passages. Now, maybe you picked it up. 
and hopefully you did. But the two things that you may have noticed was one, both passages mention peace, but two, more importantly, here's the first principle to take away. There is no reconciliation without death. Let me say that one more time. There is no coming back together of two parties that were separated from a dispute or from trouble without something dying. Jesus died to reconcile the world back to himself. Both times in both passages, you see a mention of the cross. You see a mention uh, uh, later of, of his blood, right? Something has to die in order for reconciliation to take place. So in order for Christ to win humanity back to himself, he had to remove the obstacle of sin, okay, from obstructing the peaceful and harmonious relationship that God desires to have with the human family. We see that in Genesis. Isaiah 49 says the same thing. Your sins are separating you from you and your God. And the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of South Africa, as they tried to decide how best to navigate such a massive task of healing, they realized that in order to move South Africa forward, many things had to be dealt with. In fact, many things had to be buried. Many things had to die. So that would mean the pain. That would mean the hatred, the resentment, the bitterness from all of the atrocities that had been committed. All of that must be buried in order to move forward. But they could not be buried, they could not be put to death without first adequately addressing them. You can't get over something that's never been addressed, right? If there's pain that has been brought from it, that is a result of it. And so I have this quote, Desmond Tutu, uh, who is the, um, the head chair of this commission, um, he wrote the book, No Future Without Forgiveness. And this is a quote that he said. He said, the past, far from disappearing or lying down and being quiet, has an embarrassing and persistent way of returning and haunting us unless it has, in fact, been dealt with adequately. Unless we look the beast, in, unless we look the beast in the eye, we find it has an uncanny habit of returning to hold us hostage. And so Desmond Tutu said, we have to address this adequately before we can put to death what has happened. Reconciliation is evidence in itself. It's, it's an acknowledgement that something is wrong. For example, you don't need to reconcile with someone you're on good terms with. <laughs> but if you need to reconcile with someone, then that implies that something happened, right? That something is wrong. Something is broken. And so the fact that someone is seeking, seeking to reconcile is simply evidence that there is actually a problem. So South Africa said, hey, we need to have a reconciliation committee. That means we had a problem. We are acknowledging we had a problem in our society. But there's emphasis, I wanna put emphasis on the phrase truth. It's not only the reconciliation commission, it's the truth and reconciliation commission. Okay, emphasis on the truth. And this is the fascinating thing. This is what they, they had uh, uh, 
decided amongst themselves, this, this board of people, board of 17 people, this commission, they said the perpetrators of the crimes during the apartheid, so that includes the police, the soldiers, other government officials, even the, um, the radical liberation parties who were fighting against the apartheid, but uh, doing massive atrocities in their own right. All of these people, they wanted, they desired amnesty or they desired a pardon. They wanted to say, hey, if we, um, uh, uh, in this next administration with Nelson Mandela, we want to make sure that we don't, we don't get punished for what happened in the previous administration, for the things that we did. And so what they decided is, is that um, uh, their involvement in the crimes against humanity, they didn't want any, they didn't want to, to suffer for them. So uh, many of these radical liberation groups, they were, they were Black. But the only way that pardon could be considered and granted was if they went before this board, we, the, called the TRC, and they confessed in public and full and thorough, right, a truthful account of their part in the terrors against humanity. So for example, if, you, if, if someone went and plotted to, to blow up a building and they did that, they would have to come forward, confess that atrocity, and they would write it down and record it in the books. And it, would, it was recorded for the public, for the universe, for the world to see. If they wanted a pardon, they had to first come forward and give a confession. And so some came forward, but many didn't. And those who received pardon were freed from being pursued later for, for their due retribution, right? And so these confessions, along with the accounts of, of all those who were victimized, they were recorded, they were written in books uh, uh, as a record for the people of South Africa of their history and what had happened to them and how they were moving forward. But the interesting thing is, is that 80% of the people that came forward were Black. They were Black. The reason why the truth had to be told, okay, is because you cannot build a new bridge over a broken one. Let me say that again. As South Africa is trying to uh, begin a new chapter in 1995, they realized that you cannot build a, a new bridge over a broken one. You cannot build a new society without first addressing the broken one previous to it. And so you must first remove the broken one, it must first die, and then you build a new one. And so the commission, their, their jobs, says Desmond Tutu, they needed to rehabilitate the human and civil dignity of the victims. And so in order to do that, they allowed them to come forward and share their stories and testimonies of their wounds and pain of how they were impacted by the apartheid. And in fact, many of the people who shared, they said that the fact that coming to talk to the commission, the opportunity that they had, it had a therapeutic healing effect on them, being able to share their stories and, and the horror that happened within their life during the, during the time of the apartheid. In order for the reconciliation to effectively operate, truth must be told. And so instead of hiding the past, and we're going somewhere with this, the commission required that it be revealed. Does anyone know 1 John 1, 9 by heart? Remember I said some of these principles, or actually all of these principles we'll look at today are from the scriptures. 
the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. From, from man to God, God says, come and confess. James 5.16 says, confess your trespasses one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The principles of this reconciliation commission are taken from the scripture. And so I say again, there is no reconciliation without death. Something has to die in order for reconciliation to take place. But that's not it. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter five, and we're going to look at verse 17 through 19. Second Corinthians chapter five, 17 through 19. It says this, 17 through 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. There's the death. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Here's another note to take home. The product or what is produced by true reconciliation is a resurrection of something new. It's a, a turning a new leaf, uh, a new life, a new relationship. Just as something, uh, uh, when we say something has to die, it's like burying the hatchet, right? Let's solve this. Let's resolve this. And when we talk about a resurrection of something new, we're turning a new leaf. And that's exactly what South Africa tried to do. True reconciliation will bury an old chapter and begin writing a new one. Jesus Christ, who is the great reconciler, was buried and then resurrected to a new body of glory. And so with God, our old self, like the scripture has said, therefore, if you are in Christ, you are a new creature. With God, our old self is buried or dies who was the enemy of God, the one that was hostile to God, and a new person filled, the spirit of, filled with the spirit of God emerges. Do you believe that? I believe that. They begin to walk in a newness of life. When you're reconciled to God, you become a completely new creation. Paul says the old has passed away. It's not only it's the old person, that old self, but it's also like Ecclesiastes 9, 6 says, when something dies, their love, their hatred, their envy, everything perishes. So everything that was associated with that old person must die. So that means, and I hope we're making connections together, if you become new in Christ, all of your forbidden uh, uh, loves, your hatred, your envy, everything that you had before you met Christ dies. Whatever was a part of your old life is no longer Instead, you're resurrected to something new. The TRC, 
the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, their plan was to gather all of the victim accounts, all of the perpetrator accounts as well, as a symbolic manifestation of confession and a death to the horrors of old South Africa. And in that way, hopefully their love, their hatred, their envy would perish too. Their goal was to bury the old chapter of South Africa and begin a new one, resurrected to life. It's beautiful how that can happen. But then Paul in this passage in 2 Corinthians encourages us to something even more. He gives us a charge. Look at verse 20. It says, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, which we'll come to in a second. But it says, God making his appeal through us. Then he says, we implore you or we beg you, you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Paul is begging, be reconciled to God. Once you were like this, you were separate, you were far, come back together. Be reconciled with God. You know what's interesting is that oftentimes it's usually the victim who seeks reconciliation. Usually, not always, but often. And in the case of humanity and God, who is the victim? Of course, God is the victim. And who then is the perpetrator? That's you and that's me. And so God, the victim comes, he comes to, to Adam and Eve in the garden, where are you? God as the victim comes and he seeks reconciliation with his creation. And in the case of God and man, God always makes the first move. But that's not the only thing that has to happen for reconciliation to take place. In order for reconciliation to take place, the perpetrator also has to agree to that reconciliation. So God can make all the moves that he wants. But if humanity decides not to come back to him, then that's all that, that that can be. Whatever is blocking us from having a harmonious relationship with God, and I want us to stop and evaluate our own walks with God. Whatever is stopping us from having a harmonious relationship with God, it's that thing that must be put to death. And I know we have Pathfinders on here, so you guys are, are younger and you're still learning and moving through life. And there could be a lot of things that keep you from wanting to know God better. It could be you're simply not interested. <laughs> it could be it's a church is a turnoff because some you have different examples of people who don't show what church and what Christian should be. It could be a number of things. But in order to be reconciled back to God, whatever it is that's blocking that relationship has to be put to death. And for us adults, there are a lot of things that could be blocking us, uh, even more. I mean, um, we have anger from our past. We have hurt. We have relationship baggage and damage. We have unanswered life questions. We have so many things, but often the thing that keeps a perpetrator from reconciling with a victim, just in general, the thing that keeps them from reconciling is pride. And the thing that keeps humanity from reconciling with God 
is a type of pride. Man to man, when there's an issue between uh, friends, between uh, uh, you know, someone like you and I, it's often pride that holds us back from making, from closing that gap, from burying the hatchet, should I say. And the sad thing is, is that pride, and pride is this, is this self-dignity that, that we hold for ourselves, but it's, it's not good to hold on to pride, especially when you're wrong. Pride will keep many people out of the kingdom of heaven. And I say that because we a lot of times put emphasis on a number of different things uh, in, in, in the world, in our journey. But pride, which was the beginning of sin, will keep many people from reconciling with God, which will therefore keep them out of the kingdom of God. Pride will prevent many people from truly being reconciled uh, to one another. Pride is what keeps families from uniting. Some families have been, uh, have been beefing for years. Pride will keep a husband and wife from agreeing with one another. Pride will keep America, where we live, in chaos. Pride never promotes peace, but we serve a God who is the Prince of Peace. Pride is what has to be laid down in order to be reconciled back with God and back with one another. Pride and many more things as well. But the only way the process of reconciliation can move forward is if the perpetrator accepts the desire to reconcile. If they do, they acknowledge in truth that they, what they have done to the victim. So once they agree to reconciliation, that implies that they also know that something was wrong, that something happened, right? In South Africa, when the soldiers and the government officials of the old South African administration, when they heard what was required of them, a public confession, a public recorded confession written down and aired, when they heard that, many refused to come forward. Many police and officials lied about the accounts of terror in their applications for pardon. And so instead of coming forward and bearing the whole truth, they, they, <laughs> they, they, they wrote down a, a fictitious account. They, they got rid of evidence and then they submitted an application. They didn't come forward in truth. And so those whose accounts were accepted those were recorded in the record and they received pardon. And I find it so amazing that it, this parallels exactly with how God has dealt with us. The Bible says that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. So even though these people knew that they would receive a full pardon, as long as they made a public confession, they still decided one, to not come forward and two, to lie. And I find it amazing that the human family is in the same state with God, even though we can receive a full pardon. We refuse to come forward. We refuse to tell the whole truth. There is a healing that comes for the victim 
and the perpetrator in this whole process of reconciliation. Is this easy? No, that would be a lie. In fact, it's unnatural for human beings in our sinful state to, to, to make this happen. But an unnatural process is exactly the situation that is needed, that, that a supernatural God is needed for. We ask God for help in that. There's more. There's one last thing we want to take away from this idea of reconciliation. Look again at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, where verse, verse 20 and 21. It says this, therefore, we are ambassadors. Actually, excuse me. Let's start with verse 19. We read it, but let's read it again. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them. And notice this, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Then he says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Verse 21, for our sake, he made him, God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Once our relationship with God goes from here to here, once we are reconciled, we become ambassadors, not simply for the process of reconciliation, but for the great reconciler. We become ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Why? The Bible says we become ambassadors for the cross because that is how we received our reconciliation. That is who we now represent. We've risen to a new life in Christ. We now walk following after him. And then it's not only that, it says there's a message. We become new, and then God entrusts us with a particular message. It says that we have this message of reconciliation. And in fact, Paul, Paul was reconciled to God. You know his story. Acts 9, he gets hit on Damascus Road. God speaks to him. He transforms. And now he is begging the Corinthians, please be reconciled to God. And what Paul is doing is exactly what we begin to do once we ourselves have been reconciled to God. Why? Because our experience has transformed. And, and you have the privilege of saying, this is what God did for me, and he can do it for you too. My whole life has changed. Everything that was in the past is dead and buried. I have now resurrected to a new Michelle, to a new life. And then you tell them, whoever you're speaking to, whoever this message is for, which is the world, you tell them he can do it for you too. You too can turn over a new leaf. And that's not even it. This, this new person, they, they begin to tell about this process. And when they begin to do this, they start helping individuals reconcile things in their own lives. They help parents and children reconcile their differences. 
they help best friends, ex-best friends who were best friends and had disagreements reconcile. They, have, they help societies, whole societies turn over new leaves. And hopefully they can help America turn over a new leaf too. The people of God, they carry a message of hope. They carry a message of truth that will set people free. They tell the world that there is a man who came down from heaven because he saw that there was no peace. And he made a way for the world to come back to its intimacy with God. He made a way for fellow men and women to be in a rightful state with him and with each other. This is the message of reconciliation. And this is the message that must be shared. This is the truth of the cross. This is the truth that will set people free. That we were estranged, that we were far from God, but now we can come near. If we confess, we'll receive a full pardon and God will not hold our trespasses against us. Now, South Africa, they, they mirror these principles with, their, with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And there's actually a documentary. Um, in 2000, it came out. It's called Long Night's Journey Into Day. Okay, and it's a documentary, it's a film uh, of the confessions of some perpetrators of the apartheid. And uh, I'm sure if you look it up, you can find it. It's very powerful, very moving. And I'm just going to read the summary that the, um, the filmmakers put of this documentary. It says this. I'm going to read it. I'll read it slowly so you can um, catch it. It says, Long Night's Journey in Today follow several TRC, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, cases over a two-year period. The stories in the film underscore the universal themes of conflict, forgiveness, and renewal. A white special forces officer struggles to reach peace with the embittered wife of a black activist he killed 14 years before. A group of mothers, after enduring years of misinformation and denials by the authorities, learned the truth about how their sons were set up, betrayed, and killed in a, in a vicious police conspiracy. A liberation movement combatant who blew up a bar frequented by the security police expresses his remorse about the civilians who were killed, but the sister of a victim remains doubtful. A young Black activist comes to recognize the anguish he caused by killing a white American student during a mob riot while her parents and while her parents see past their pain to embrace a new multiracial South Africa. And then it says, as it emerges from its tragedy, South Africa is showing the rest of the world that even the most bitter conflicts can be addressed through honesty and communication. Long Night's Journey in Today provides the definitive record of one of the most ambitious and innovative attempts at social reconciliation without precedent in human history. And that's just on earth, friends. And no, is South Africa perfect today? Did it work out exactly as they had idealized it and planned it? No, but it was close. It was a start.
But there is a bigger, greater, even more ambitious story of reconciliation. And it's the story of divinity attempting to reconcile the fallen human race to itself. It's the story of the cross. It's the story of how God came down to die for men and women made of dust in order so he could bury the hatchet. In order that he might bury the hatchet, that he might let that sin, that wall of partition die. South Africa was one nation that needed reconciliation, but God made provisions to reconcile the whole world to himself. The whole entire world. Now, that's a good God. (laughs) That's a really good God. So that anyone who is afar off, Paul says, anyone who is afraid that God would be angry with them, they can come near and they can turn over a completely new leaf. And then if you confess, he gives full pardon. He doesn't hold your trespasses against you. And you walk away a new human being. So then, because you've received that blessing, that goodness, that, that, that grace of God, you go to your neighbor and you tell them, hey, you can be free too. Go and do the same. Go and do the same. Why is this message important? Because as human beings, we have a lot of relationships in our lives that need to be reconciled. And you may be young now, Pathfinders. You may not have many problems, but I don't put it past you. This world is going crazy. And each generation has something to deal with. People have, young people have complicated problems. But just know that in order to reconcile the world to himself, Christ died. And the fact that he died to reconcile the world to himself allows human beings an example of how to reconcile disputes among themselves. Something has to die. And it's the hatred, it's the bitterness, it's the resentment, but it cannot happen unless we come to to God first. Let me sing that Pathfinder song one more time. And perhaps maybe you can sing it with me where you are on mute. Oh, we are the pathfinder strong. The servants of God are we. Faithful as we march along in kindness, truth, and purity. A message to tell to the world. A truth that will set us free. King Jesus, the Savior, is coming back for you and me. A message to tell to the world. A truth that will set us free. What is that message? Be reconciled to God. And then? Go tell others about him. Is that your desire? Nod your head. Is that your wish? Then let it also be our prayer 
that God would remove our trespasses from us and accept us in the beloved. Let's pray. Father, we know that uh, humanity, <laughs> we are finite human beings. We don't have all the answers. We don't have all the wisdom. We don't have what it takes to, to reconcile to one another or to ourselves without you showing us first how to do it. And Father, I pray that this message would, would have piqued something in our minds and remind us of those relationships in our lives that need reconciliation. And Father, there's a, a lot of pain in this world big and small. But because we know that you died for that, there's hope. Father, you've called us to be reconciled to you. You've made the first move and Lord, help us. It's, it's not natural. Help us to make a move towards you. Lord, we ask that through this message of reconciliation, you would inspire us to then become ambassadors for your kingdom of your cross, ambassadors of the lamb, ambassadors of the great reconciler, that those who are afar off can come back home. And so Lord, we know that we have no power in ourselves to make this happen, but we do believe that if we follow you, that you can make many things possible. Many things being that everyone has free will and you do as much as you can, which is more than we could ever do. And so Father, we, we ask that we just leave these things in your hand. We leave these relationships in your hand. We leave this world in your hand. We leave America in your hands because we know that leaving those things in your hands, it's the best place that they could be. Father, thank you for hearing us. And we pray that this message of reconciliation would be shouted from the mountaintops by these pathfinders and adventurers alike. In Jesus' name, amen.